Pam Ochoa, I have a question for you today. And my question is a very simple one. What is your favorite grammatical mark, piece of grammar, punctuation, if you will? What is your favorite punctuation mark and why? I love the dash. And that's all that needs to be said. The dash that connects, the M dash. Which dash are we working with here? Well, we're working with the the dash that you might find in poems, the dash that pauses you. It's 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 stronger than a comma, but not as strong as a period, but yet pretty close. So if you're not sure what punctuation mark to use, just throw a dash in there and you seem like really smart, you know, and it causes the reader to pause long enough to think. Or it might show that your character is thinking. Or it might help you go to the next line of a poem. But an overuse of dashes kind of makes it look like you don't know what you're doing. So you got to sprinkle them just right. So I like the dash. But I like the to say the punctuation mark, the virgule. Now that's my favorite one to say. A little added. So the virgule. What's makes you sound virgule? smart. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Are you Wait, making babe. up stuff on the podcast? <laughs> no. no, but uh, I'll say now everybody let's add a virgule. I just love to say that. They're like, what? A virgule is a backward slash. It's not, it's not real hard. It's a slash. <laughs> You'll see them in URLs. <laughs> you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna put that on a, on a quiz one day and just, mm-hmm. if they don't know it, that's a miss. That's a miss. They should, they should have paid attention to the grammar lesson. They should know all the grammar names all the time. <laughs> Be able to recite them like they recite our standards. Yes. That's right. I agree. Maybe we should do that. You know Maybe what? I include every sentence, <sighs> every lesson with a punctuation. I rule. am. You you know we're word nerds because we're about to dive deep into a conversation about grammar, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know where this conversation is going to go. I actually have a lot to say about grammar. This is one of the many soapboxes that I'd love to stand on. But I'm Jacob Chaste. That's Pam Ochoa. We're the creators and hosts of the Craft and Draft podcast and the Craft and Draft journals that we talk about all the time. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. We talk about everything reading and writing workshop. We take questions. We do all of that. If you send me a DM. It might end up on the show because it's so much easier to answer what y'all say than to come up with our own ideas. So please do it. It really does help. But stick around. We're going to have a fantastic conversation. I love the dash as well. It's definitely my favorite one. So I there is this piece of... It's like an article, I get. I don't even know if it's a, it, it, I feel wrong calling it an article, but I have this excerpt from something I found one time, but it was talking about Emily Dickinson's dashes, right? She's very Oh, she loves the dashes. She loves them. She does them all the time. And if you look at the the actual pictures of her poems where she wrote, she just kind of did just them a right little there. Swoop, a little yeah, swish. and it's this it's this uh-huh. analyzation of how the dash especially with her, but how it it can be used to extend a thought, how it's almost like reaching out to the reader saying, you're quite not ready for this piece of information. I just need you to wait just a moment. It's, It's the act of breaking thought on purpose. And it was just like, I've mm-hmm. always been obsessed uh, with the M dash. It's also a fantastic mini lesson. I'm sure you've had an M dash mini lesson or two in your time. 
Once or two, one, one or two one of them, but two. usually you, once or two, I don't even know how to speak anymore. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, anyway, that's that Virgil. It just did me in there. So, uh, yeah, no, once you yeah, spend yeah, so much time, you. once you think about how to say that word perfectly, you've used up all of your speech. I've brain used it power. all. I have no more brain power. Yeah. Now, yeah, usually it comes up more in a conference. And uh, that's usually when I do it. So I usually teach the dash. Usually individualized instruction. I've had uh, really good stuff. I've used so the way I've done it. I actually did a mini lesson on it this year, which is it's because it's one of the things that come up when when we put something up, and I say, "What do you notice?" Right, and if and when I Mm -hmm. extend that into the. You know, what do you notice about how it's structured and stuff like that? Kids will go, oh, there's a dash. I'm like, well, this is kind of a longer dash. And so we talk about kind of what it is. And I used um, an excerpt from Toni Morrison. Uh, what's the book? Oh, the obviously, The Song of Solomon. I took a, a paragraph from that. And then I took a paragraph from Different Seasons, uh, which is a Stephen King uh, story. Um, and they both use dashes for entirely different reasons. And Stephen King, he always he used them way more back in the day, but he's kind of cut down on them. But every once in a while, he throws them in there. And what we did, there was just a paragraph each. And we looked at each of them, and we analyzed how this dash was used and stuff like that. And then I, I ex- almost explained it the same way as you did, right? It's, it's, it's like a, it's almost like a foolproof, uh, punctuation mark to kind of fudge your way through something like you're not really you know you're not really sure if it needs a comma or if you need to just end the sentence and start another sentence here uh or you know do something like that so i i love that mark i i'm 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 not shocked at all that we share the favorite punctuation (laughs) mark (laughs) there you go there you go yeah here's i want to kind of begin this with I want to I want to talk about our a philosophy of grammar mm-hmm. instruction because I feel like this is this is the equivalent of talking about the canon in reading you, when you say something contrary to popular belief uh people get defensive so I've seen teachers get vehemently uh, angry at me for saying something about grammar instruction. Um, and you know, I've, I've had DMS about it usually on any type of reading and writing, or I guess writing podcast where we go into that and we talk about how to go about grammar. There's all, I always get messages of people saying that, you know, there's room for isolated practice or something, something like that. So I want to start, I want to go base, philosophy, kind of dig around in there and then maybe at some point get to how to use this instructional method that you and I kind of uh, co-op to make our own. So what's your, if you had to summarize what your grammar philosophy is, what is it? Well, I think, uh, I do think it's important that we teach it. I think, I think people are afraid to teach it, to be honest. But I do think you it's it's the approach in which you teach it is what makes a difference. And I think that grammar needs to be taught within the context of 
the students learning the language. And what I mean by that is, you've already mentioned it, you pull from books to show how authors use different constructs. And and uh, I think that that's a good way to start and letting the students explore. And then I brought up the fact that it comes up indiv- independently. Usually it comes up when they have a question in their in their uh, writing. But I do think we need to take time and teach specifically the structures, the structure of language. I do think we need to teach it. I just think we need to teach it and then quickly incorporate it into their writing. Because if we don't, if we teach it in complete isolation, it means absolutely nothing. You might as well get up there and and speak Latin to students that have no Latin background. And it's just, it's like the language is dead. Because it's not really, I mean, it just doesn't help the students. And we had a conversation about this the other day. I mean, actually, I think it was yesterday I had a, a student ask me, uh, I think the 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 effect, because it was on a test we just took, <laughs> effect and effect, and the kids were asking me about that. And so when we started with the fact that the word effect with the E, uh, in that sentence that they use, it began, there was an article in front of it. So then that immediately brought up noun versus verb. Uh, how can you tell that there's a noun you know, what's an article? They had, the kids had had no idea. So I spent a little bit of time teaching, these were my honors students, teaching them A and, and D. They really didn't know what that was and how that helps determine the noun in plurality or specificity. And so, um, so I think when the students are encouraged or they are engaged or they ask the questions themselves, I think it's important to go as far as you can go without losing them. <laughs> So I do think that the better that, and and I think this is proven, that in your own first language, the better you know the the language, the better you're going to understand and even pick up another language. So Mm. I do think it's important, but I don't think that's what we begin with. Yeah. And I, you know, here's the thing. When I, I don't know, I've, I've tried to summarize how I feel about grammar instruction a lot just because I think it is it's essential in so many ways but I don't think it's essential in the ways that we traditionally think about why uh-huh. it's essential so kind of I don't know yeah. I don't even know how I came to this specific conclusion I'm about to say it's a combination maybe I'm quoting someone that actually happened to me the other day <laughs> I was trying to one of my teachers asked for more help in writing and I was like well I can talk to you a lot um, but re- reading a book sometimes is a little bit better because you can get different context. It's specific. You can make your own meaning out of it. So I gave them uh, a book. I forget the author, but it's called How Long – No More How Long Does This Have to Be, right? And it's a really mm-hmm. good uh, writing workshop book. But I was flipping through it just to see what it had, and it's kind of refreshed my memory. And I saw uh, – it was it was something about publishing, right? And just like honoring the publishing process and stuff like that. I was like, oh yeah, that's where I had that line from. And like <laughs> it was just one of those moments where I'm like, God, I'm just really a collection of all of the reading I've done and all the people. Like I have some original stuff in there, but like the majority of the things I say are just from other sources, and it's just right. impossible to uh, hold that all in. But um, we were talking about. 
grammar instruction. Yeah, we were talking about that, but we we're talking about grammar instruction with my teacher, and a couple of the teachers got involved in this. And uh, there was a math teacher. She was like, you know, what do you do when you're, how, you know, how often do you give grammar tests? And I was like, I don't. And she was like, what? She was like, really? Yeah. She's like, how do you know they understand grammar? I'm like, well, they write. <laughs> and she goes, well, blah, blah. And I, we had like this back and forth for a little bit. And I was like, no. I was like, so she was like, well, she, uh, she's like, well, I don't understand. I was like, well, so I was like, here, I was like, I think grammar, we have to remember, and this is my conclusion, grammar serves purpose and meaning above all else. There are rules, but even those rules are broken all the Mm -hmm. time, right? So when we think about, my perspective is less about the rule and more about what can make the meaning of my writing be better, right? And I have found that a lot of Students connect to that. So if you have students, you know, if you start from passion and you can get your kids working through workshop uh, in a way where they're connecting with their pieces, they're writing what they care about, they're doing all of those things, and then you start cycling in. Okay, so you really care about this? Yes. Awesome. It can't be one sentence. Like you have to put a period in there. It's going to help. And then you, you know, you start moving that way. And then once Mm -hmm. students start seeing, oh, this grammar, like the the commas and being able to combine sentences and stuff like that. Like if if you have your kids thinking about sentence variety, then that's perfect for comma usage, right? So it's, it's the meaning first. And I feel like going that way. Uh, I feel like it captures so many people, but I also think it, it gives us a more healthy outlook on this. You know, it's, I don't know, we, we can kill things with rules too fast, but do you, do you think that's too liberal to think meaning first? Is there, a, is there an argument to be had for, uh, emphasizing rules over meaning or, or not maybe over, but before? Well, you know, the old adage, and, and I think this comes from, um, Janet Emig, if we were given credit, but um, I heard it actually from Eddie Wilson, who was one of the founders of the Abydos writing, and we had to teach in front of them. Like, they gave us a topic, and it right in front of them. Well, I mean, we had a day to plan, but they we drew the topic. That night, we had to plan, and then the next day, we had to bring in our lesson, and uh, so he stopped me right in the middle of it. And this, of course, I was in my 20s. So this was a long time ago. And I had only the background of how I had been taught by those teachers who taught me, which was the old traditional, you know, you have a grade for grammar, you have a grade for meaning, you have a grade and the grammar grade overrides the meaning grade. And you have to do 20 uh, parsing sentence worksheets and you know, all of that. And so I start on my lesson and he stops me right in the middle of it. And he says, I'm going to stop you right there. Number one thing that you need to always remember that needs to be the foundation of your philosophy and meaning dictates form. And what he meant by that is exactly what you're saying. In other words, the form that you choose to write, whether it's grammar, whether it's genre, whether it's uh, how you organize your paragraphs, what you want to say needs to determine how you say it and what you want to do. That's why that dash is so important. If you really want to pause their thought, then a dash is a perfect way to do it. But if you don't need to pause their thought 
and you're just throwing in it in there without really knowing why you're throwing it in there, then you're probably better off with the period. So those are some things to think about. But I do think meaning dictates form. And here's another thing. We were talking. It was funny. I said, I told my students the other day when we were having that conversation, I said, now, now you know, this is, we're nerding out right here. <laughs> this is how English teachers nerd out. <laughs> so y'all just asked me the number one nerd uh, way of nerding for English. And I said, so, I mean, I even threw a diagram up there and showed them how we used to learn it. And they were like, Oh, I don't think I could do that. But then, but it broke it all down. I said, see, there's a place for every one of these words. And they were like, that's so fascinating. I, I only would do that because they were asking me. Yeah. And so I just kind of went on a tangent, but it wasn't a tangent like what's your personal life like? And I, they get me off track. It was more of, they were really curious about how language works. And so I took advantage of that, but I told them that we were nerding out. But but one of the things um, that that I think... Uh, in that nerding out, I guess, is I told them that, you know, when babies, the first, because they started talking about, well, why do we not learn this? Because my teachers didn't teach us this. That's that's what the conversation, that's what I meant when I started that nerding out thing. And I said, well, you know, really, truly, when you go back as babies, we don't say, oh, I'm sorry. You have to know your nouns first before you can ask for milk. You know, we don't we don't do that, right? We don't say, well, I'm sorry, that's not a complete sentence. We go ahead and give them the milk. We don't say, you know, we don't make them. It was it's it's and so the students, uh, one of my students said, Well, you know, we I have a baby brother and we just talk to him and then over time he just imitates us. And I said, Yeah, so a lot of times the grammar comes because that's what you're hearing. So if you're hearing proper grammar, then you're probably gonna speak proper grammar, but you don't necessarily have to know the rules in order to complete your thoughts. But the reason why I think it's important that we learn the rules is because now that we know what thoughts we want to say, it's those rules that help us figure out how to say them. So it's how you want to do it is is when, you, when, when you're ready for that, you'll start learning the rules. So that's just kind of my thought. But that we had a good conversation. It was a neat conversation. I can't believe you wanted to talk about grammar after we had that conversation. So that's kind of cool. But those are honors kids. Yeah, and they're they're interesting. And then I have another group that um, I would say this particular class. Um, most of them don't want to do anything. I mean, they just flat out tell me that they don't really like school. I have them at the end of the day, and all they can think about is how you know what bus they're about to get on that you know, whatever, they're about ready to go home. But uh, every once in a while, though, I'll throw out a little grammar thing. It makes them feel smarter. And that, like, I had one student go, oh, my gosh, I never learned this before. So I do think it's important that we we teach it. I really do. I, yeah, I, I think I agree. There's a, a couple analogs to this. And the way I kind of compare this, and I actually talk about it in – um, rightfully empowered the book that I have coming out before craft and draft, but, um, there is good book, uh, by the way, it's, I've been reading it. Yes. I'm so thankful that I have so many people that are wanting to read it. I have different people from different fields reading it. So I'm interested to see what goes down, but, um, I, so I, I draw up, I have a whole chapter about grammar because it's, it's just something that's going to come up in writing. And my my comparison to this is we 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 tend to approach writing in a in a controlled way because we feel like 
kids can't do it unless they have uh, specific instruction to, right? Um, yet there's we we don't put this this care first, right? This this love of words first. And I use this example of if you walked into a band class or a music class, and you ask kids to raise their hand, how many of y'all like music? Most of them are going to raise their hands, right? It's an elective. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could, I mean, that's a good assumption that 99% of them are going to raise their hands and be like, yes, I like music, right? If you walk into an English classroom and say, how many of you love to write? Um, or how many of you love to read? Or how many love the written word? You know, you might get a, a, a maybe a few hands. Uh, depends on the class, I suppose. But I would be willing to guess you're not going to get 99% kids raising their hand. So, but he, so here's the thing: when we approach music, though, a lot of it is you. What do you do? You hand kids instruments. You hand them drumsticks. You hand them a guitar, and you say, "Do uh-huh. play." You you sit them on a piano. You say, "Play," and they do it. And then if they like it. You start going, hey, why don't you learn this? Why don't you model after this? Why don't you do this? Um, and then if they really like it and they start playing even more, it's like, okay, so now here's here's what a measure is, right? Here's what a time signature is. Here's right. what that, that beat you're playing. Here's this note. And here's what that looks like. And then they can go as deep into that as they want. And I'm a kind of a good example of this to where I learned music by ear my whole life. I was playing music from a very early age, watched my dad do it. Uh, I was playing fairly well at an early age on the drum set. And then when I got to band, I was like, Oh, these are rhythms. This is going to make, these are techniques. This is what I'm, this is a 16th note. This is how I play fast. This is how I can do this. And I really liked it because it was servicing my like, and I really enjoyed it up to that point. And then I went to drumline and got more advanced. And I was like, Oh, this is making me a better drummer. All of this stuff, really liking it. And I was diving into time signatures, getting more advanced. And then at some point it hit a point to where I was like, all right, I don't need this anymore. Like I am, I don't care about this enough to, to put in the work to get to the next level, right? I am not someone that's going to go and be, uh, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to teach music. I don't want to go and do kind of that next level. So I stopped. I was like, I'm, I'm good. I, I, I have my tools. This is good for what I want to do in life. Uh, in writing, it seems like we don't do that at all. It seems like, uh, it, the, the tendency is to put forth the rules first, all of this practice and rote stuff, and maybe not so much today. You know, diagramming, I don't think, is nearly as popular today as it used no, to be. But it's um, fun. Yes, that's what that's what all they that's what all they say when they talk about diagramming. Um, so you have uh you have similar stuff though, right? You have, uh, mm-hmm. you know, correct the sentence. You have worksheets with like 10 lines on it. You got to make them correct. Make five compound sentences out of these, uh, out of these, uh, lines, or whatever, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but we don't start with a love of words first and a love of meaning and, and just enjoyment of it. And then kind of rolling through that, um, but it's it's weird because we also like like you said you said you think we should you believe that we should teach these things and all of that and I I agree to an extent and the reason why I think I don't agree fully is because of this music analogy I'm going to take one step further which is the Beatles didn't learn music they didn't know how to read or write music Jimi Hendrix didn't know how to read or write music um, and we they created things that were 
amazing in their own way. Now, on the other side, there's musicians who are very skilled, very high level, no music better than, you know, the other 95% of people that play music. Um, but we don't really, we don't really judge the difference. I mean, some of us do, uh, but I, I think it's, it's, we, we believe that you can still make music without knowing how to read music. Um, but I feel like writing isn't approached that way, but I feel like there's such a good comparison there. Uh, maybe it's because I'm a musician. I know I talked to my wife about this while I was writing that chapter. Um, and she was like, I think that only works for you because you're a musician and you went through that. But I'm like, I don't know. I think I can explain it in a way. I don't know. Am, is that articulate in a way where you agree or disagree? Well, yeah, I think, I think you, you teach them by letting them explore. I, I am one who loves to let them explore. And I think they do need to explore with the, with the words. And I'm one who, uh, we put a word up, you know, just the other day, the kids, I mean, we do that so much that the kids are like, you forgot the word of the day, you know, so they love learning about words, but they love it because I made an emphasis on that. You know what I mean? Like I emphasized, I, I showed a passion for it. Right. Now, when I'm sitting there talking about grammar, I do so not like, oh, here we go again. This was like, and then you just spit off a bunch of words. It's more like they ask me a question and then they can see my passion and then they go, well, maybe there's something to this. But I do not start the year out that way. I start the year out with them writing. The very first thing, I, I mean, we can't get anywhere if they don't write first. And that's just, that's just how it is. So they have to write. So to me, that's kind of like what you're talking about. You put that instrument in front of them. Their instrument is the 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 pen and the paper and their ideas in their brain. And I just I just help them access what's in that brain. Okay. And am I successful 100% of the time? No, I have some kids that get, get to me, and I know you do too, and, and the people who are listening do too, that have been so hardened to school and to writing. They've had such a bad time coming up. I mean, what, how many, this is seventh grade, so they've already had quite a few years of hardening, and sometimes I don't make it in there. But for the most part, I can turn a kid around just by giving them a pen and paper and letting them write what they want to write. And then I think where the grammar comes in is when they choose that piece that they want to publish, when they choose that piece that they want out for others to see, because nobody wants to show their mistakes. They want to hone their product, you know? And so when they know it's about to be seen is when it, when it becomes important. So in that part of their writing, and that's why a lot of times I do individualize because if they're all in a different spot, then I cater to what their needs are. So one person might really don't, they don't understand. I had a girl the other day, she didn't understand commas. She's my best writer. I mean, she can write like crazy, but boy, she sure loves to sprinkle a comma here and there. And so Sure enough, on that test we took, you know, I showed the data because our district, we have to show the data. So I showed the data of the last test that they took. And I said, you know, when they took it, I pulled them up and talked to them about it right then and there. And so uh, I said, well, I, I, I looked at her essay. I saw that I'm like, you're just putting commas wherever you want. I don't think you understand the commas. And then we turned and looked at her actual multiple choice part of the test. And guess where she made all of her mistakes? With compound complex commas revision, you know, and editing those two things. So 
so I had a nice conversation with her and she goes, well, you know, I know that I'm supposed to use them, but when I get started on it, I'm like confused. And so I did my little lesson right there. And then sure enough, she went and she corrected her, her essay based on what she learned. And we talked about, you know, where you place commas. So it, it became important to her, but I did not teach that lesson to everybody. Now I might teach a generic lesson with an anchor chart about the time that we have to start worrying about revision and editing in our pieces. Cause I've asked them all to select a piece and I may put an anchor chart up there with the most common uses of, of commas. When do we commonly use them? Cause I, but I don't teach them all 10 or 12 comma rules. You know, if we're not writing a letter, we don't need to know about the salutation. We don't need to know at that moment in time. But if we're writing a letter, then yes, we talk about where it goes at a date. We talk So it's specific based on what their needs are or what genre they're working with. You know, in my own revision process of writing, I combine and break sentences literally all the time. That's like half my revision energy is deciding if I should do a complex, compounds, a simple sentence, just doing that over and over again to all these different paragraphs. I do it because it's – because what usually happens in my process is – you know, I, I, I vomit out first. I, I'm really good at just getting the words on the page because I believe everything can be fixed, right? And mm-hmm. now after writing so much over the years, I've gotten to where I generally write fairly well. Like it, it needs to get edited and stuff like that. And sometimes my thoughts aren't connected, but that's that all gets fixed in the revision. But my first draft is ge- – they're, they're decent, um, which wasn't the case when I was like 20, but anyway, so 10 years of writing would hopefully improve me a little bit. But in that revision process, you know, I might change, you know, the paragraph above one, how mm-hmm. it flows. So that affects how I want it to flow here. And so it happens all the time. And I just spend so much time and eventually I just have to stop because at some point it you at some point it is what it is, right? It's just just because it's changed doesn't mean it's better. And that process um, I try to work with my students. We, I try not to, I don't generally force, uh, too much editing and revision. Uh, but I, I encourage it over time because I'm conferencing with them so much. Uh, we edit and revise kind of in the process. I try not to point out too many errors in their writing. Like if it's a student who, uh, struggles with just grammar and writing well in that sense, I try to maybe help like once. In a little bit, you know, we, we do the lesson, uh-huh. we're conferencing, you know, I might do a mini lesson there with them if I'm working with them or maybe just point out one thing. So it's like a slow process rather than that. Do you have, I know you do, I know in Abydos, you do, you know, ratiocination and, and various other uh, techniques. So do you find yourself setting time for kind of uh-huh. mass editing and revision in your classroom or, well, you know what, uh-huh. let's pause there. Because I don't want to, okay. because we're skipping steps. Let's go, we're about 30 minutes in, so this is probably a good time to actually talk about how uh, you would approach grammar from kind of the beginning to the end. And I'm sure that process of editing and stuff will come up. So when you're deciding to introduce something like this, right, do you, how often, what percentage would you say your mini lessons where you focus on writing even have a focus of grammar? Are they, is it a big percentage or a small percentage? Probably on the small p- percentage. Most of my mini lessons deal with um, getting ideas down 
are just getting ideas, like brainstorming. I do a lot of that. And then everything has like some sort of brainstorm thing for me. I just love the brainstorm. And I like to go go beyond the pause when they don't think, you know, when they pause because they've thought about all the stuff that they've thought about, then I go, okay, now go beyond your pause. And so that sometimes gets them to brainstorm even more. So that's the first thing that I do. Second thing, they start writing. So So they'll write they'll pick a piece, they'll pick something, and they'll write about it, they'll write about topics. And then, so they might have some shorter bursts of writing where we write write two minutes, we might write 10 minutes, just depends on the time we have and what we have to get done, and of course, driven by curriculum and standards. Then uh, after that, they choose a piece that they want to really work on. And so I'm a little more controlled that way uh, in You know, it just works for me within where I'm at and what we do. But uh, that's a little more controlled. But what they'll do is is at some point I'll say, okay, uh, we're going to start. No, before we do that, hang on. So then my lessons are going to be more about adding depth to their writing, more like show, you know, like how to elaborate, um, find a sentence, maybe leads, maybe conclusions. They find a sentence and they uh, turn it you know, develop that sentence, depending on whatever we're, we're trying to do. They might add description, stuff like that. So I do two or three of those. Because if you do too many, it starts getting where it's like you run out of time. So I'm, sometimes I just do two. So it it's based on the time and what's required from our district that we have to have done. And then once I get there at some point, maybe in the middle of those mini lessons, I will stop and have them share. So then they all share, but they will share based on what we're look what we're looking for. If it's at the beginning of the year, I just want to encourage them and create an enjoyment of the writing process. So nothing negative is allowed. There's no analysis other than they point out what works in the piece. So it builds confidence, and then I might do another uh, development piece where they, I show them something else. Maybe this is probably when I do the conclusion or I do the lead. Just depends on what we're doing. And then after that, I'll say, okay, now it's time. We're going to be, um, uh, like you said, ratiocination. And so for those of you who don't know what ratiocination is, it's a technique that came from uh, Joyce Armstrong Carroll, Dr. Carroll. And she wrote this in the, um, uh, I guess, the English uh, National uh, Teachers Association, one of their English journals. And so it showed up in one of those English journals, and she wrote this article, and it was all about using color codes and underlining uh, in order to to show the ratio of items that a student may have in their paper. So if you're looking at sentence variety, then you would you would uh, the student would take two colors and they would alternate their colors as they go down the page. One sentence be one color, the next sentence be the other color, and then they alternate. And from there, they get a visual for how many sentences they have in their whole piece of writing, which is why the word ratio is in there. So what that does, I had one time I did this, one of my first times to do it, and this is what sold me on it. I was teaching ninth grade, and this girl goes, Miss Ochoa, I never got to use my blue. And I said, well, do you have any periods in there? And she goes, I didn't punctuate. Because <laughs> I said, you can't pick up your pencil. You can't change colors if you don't have punctuation. So then, so she visually could see she had left out her punctuation marks. So she goes, I said, well, now you know. So then that gives them a reason to go back into their writing. And that's where I start teaching the grammar. You know, we had a... 
one of the teachers I work with, she was singing the praises of ratiocination because she was like, she's like, it's the best thing for like sentences. Like the, one of the most basic mm-hmm. uses of it is just like how, how long are your sentences? When do you put a period? You know? And she right. was, <laughs> she was kind of, uh, singing that. And I really do. I love, uh, doing some stuff like that, but I, I'm curious, do you, so do you have a day where you do that with their writing? Um, yes. okay. So with that answer, if your kids are riding kind of at their own pace a little bit, do you try to time it when everyone's sort of in the same spot or is it, is it, I don't know. I guess your workshop is it's guided, but so how, how do you get to that point? How are you guiding that while keeping that freedom going? Well, I think what it is, is it's when I start certain things. So like if we're doing all, uh, where they're doing quite a bit of writing and they choose, there's a point in time where I say, you need to choose a piece of writing. You need to choose something to take to publication. And so I don't really care what that is. If they run out of, let's say they choose to do poems and poetry and if they finish one, then I'll, you know, I might work with that person a little more individually, but as, but then they might take one of their pieces, but usually my brainstorming, all of that kind of goes along with what the, what the district wants. Now, if I was free reign and I didn't have to worry about what the district wants, then yeah, I, it would be a little more individualized probably. But I teach it at the beginning, that first six weeks, I teach it at the beginning, because really what happens is you teach it all together just to kind of go through the entire process. And then after that, I would say probably the second semester right now, they're all working it at different paces. So it changes now that I think about it. Damn, I've thought about it before. You know, you don't always think about your processes. You just do stuff. <laughs> I know. You know, I've uh, one thing that podcasting so much has taught me is that it is challenging to deconstruct your own stuff sometimes mm-hmm. um, because you internalize – everyone internalizes stuff in different ways. So like once you start trying to communicate why something is what it is uh, or why you do something a certain way, it's hard. It's Sometimes it's, it's hard yeah. and sometimes it leads to gaps in your thinking. Like I'm like, oh, maybe I didn't – think that through all the way, um, which happens, that happens to me a lot. I'm, Oh, I don't believe that. I'm passionate and very dogmatic about things very quickly. Uh, so I leave gaps in my thinking all the time, but I try, I, I'm aware of those problems. Well, now I can tell you in my experiences, I have been known to put students to sleep using grammar. I mean, I really have. <laughs> <laughs> I've also had some of my my worst arguments with teacher has teachers have been over grammar. I have lost friendships mm. over grammar. I have, I mean, I've had, I've had several debates as well. Yeah. Well, like when they run off their 20 questions on one side and 20 questions on the other, and you have to find all of your prepositional phrases first before you can even talk about a sentence, you have to eliminate all the preposition. Now, this is where I'm probably going to irritate some people, but I don't mean to, but, but when I said, thank you for copying that for me, but I'm not going to use them, that kind of set off a problem. So I've been known to do that. I don't, I am not, when I said it needs to be taught, I just want to make it clear. I am not a grammar worksheet person. I do not do worksheets at all. I have no worksheets, which bothers the kids sometimes because they would rather do a worksheet because then they don't have to think and there's a right and a wrong answer. But writing isn't a right or wrong answer. It's what what you want to say determines how you want to say it. So every person's individualized. 
So you have to be willing to let go if you really want to effectively teach these students how to write. Well, and, uh, you know, to kind of circle back to one of my first Mm -hmm. points, which is I really do think that a part of the frustration with grammar comes when we, we try to put rules first and, but if we, if we want kids to care at all about grammar, and once again, like people listening to this podcast and us, like we're word nerds, we're dorks. Like we like the ins and outs of sentences and we like to analyze. I actually like to diagram them. Yeah. Well, I was never a fan. I, I did have this teacher one year that made me do it. I only had one that I remember. Um, but you know, we did, uh, we, we, we hit a lot of stuff, but I, you know, I, I do like it. Like I like reading linguistic stuff. Like one of my books that I actually read just like a book was, uh, the elements of style. Like I just read the book like a dork and just read all these grammar rules for fun. And like, I, I like stuff like that, but, um, it's not necessary for all of our kids to be like that. It's the, it's the right. same, it's the same thing for, uh, when a kid might be reading, like, I think it's really good to hand, you know, let's say I have a kid who, you know, like for me, I'm a huge fan of East of Eden and Grapes of Wrath and Steinbeck in general. Um, I don't think every kid needs to read Steinbeck. It's the, uh, you know, if, if they're on that path and I'm like, I see a window, I might hand them something like that or, you know, Fitzgerald or something like that. But does every kid need to read uh, that stuff, not necessarily. I don't, if they're on that path to do that, then yeah. Um, does every kid need to know the ins and outs of every grammar rule? Probably not. What they need to be able to do is communicate their ideas, uh, in the way that they're going to be doing. Now, if they are passionate about writing, yeah, you're probably going to be able to get that kid to understand, uh, and internalize some really great grammar rules and some intricacies of just the, the language in general. But if this kid is, you know, they want, like they're a athletics person, and they, they, you can get them to write and like writing, but they're probably never going to like just really love hearing grammar rules. You know, you probably got five minutes with that person and maybe. Well, I, I got to tell you, I'm telling you, I, I looked out there and I had chills <laughs> the other day. It was just, I think it was yesterday. Was it yesterday? It was yesterday or Thursday. Yeah. And they were all like, so. So is that an Awubis? Is that the Awubis? Of course, you know, Jeff Jeff Anderson, yeah. the great Jeff Anderson, is the one who created the Awubis, or at least wrote about it. It's the first time I heard of it. But anyway, the Awubis sentence, which, of course, is your the words that, the trigger words for, uh, if you will, a, a complex, uh, you know, dependent clause. So anyway, mm-hmm. uh, but the kids go, so what's an Awubis? And so I said, "Oh, you just you just made my day because now I can tell you what one is." And I got through. I said, "This is a subordinating conjunction." Now let's look at this. It's sub. It causes this. It forces this particular uh, clause to become dependent. It's sub. It's now under the regular clause. It's sub, and then it coordinates. And I we used our little word, you know, my little word uh, decoding where you kind of. Look at the word within a word. Oh, there, your favorite word there. But it's for real. And I said conjunction, (laughs) you know, conjunction with and join. I mean, that's what it's doing. And so the kids are like, wow, so what's fanboys? I said, oh, my goodness, fanboys. Let me tell you what those are. Coordinated conjunction. So it was just, and I'm telling you, I looked out there and I had one reading a book. Everybody else was listening, though. 
So I had one that nerded, you know, she's, I don't have time for this. I'm going to read my book. They were literally asking me questions. It was like a dream come true. Now, did it happen all day long? No, just this one moment in time, maybe once every five years, but it really did happen. It really did happen. And I was like in my element, I was able to, and I even diagram this idea that I threw a diagram up there. They were like, so how did you learn grammar, Miss Ochoa? And I said, oh, we did diagramming. And I mean, I'm telling you, we diagrammed that sentence. So how do you, how do, do you think you would have had that moment if you were using popular programs such as No Red Ink or something like that exclusively no. <laughs> to teach grammar? No. no. Would they have no, even I, been interested at all? No, and I think the reason they were interested is I had just showed them their, you know, their data, uh-huh. and we had a 47%, uh, I think uh, in that particular class, only 47% understood, like, they messed up on their commas and compound mm-hmm. and complex sentences, and so it caused, and they and this is an honors class, they hate messing up, they want the 100 yeah. So they were asking me questions so that they could get the 100 the next time. So they, they're actually driven. I did not have the same conversation with my on-level students, just, just letting you know that. But but it was up on the board, and I left it up on the board. And I did have some students ask me what that was. And so I kind of made it a little less intricate and just said, well, we were learning about these commonly confused words. And, you know, so I did have them kind of inquire, the few that wanted to. So I, you know, I, I didn't actually plan on bringing this up on this episode, but our friend Natalie, who sent in a, a question, by the way, she was, she yes. asked me again, she talked about, um, she was asking me which Abydos was it. So I, I had to send her to the, the right website and talk about how. Oh it's yes. It used to be uh New Jersey writing project in yeah. Texas. We, we got to do, by the Abydos. way, just uh shop talk for a second. We need to get somebody It would be, I don't know if Dr. Carroll would do it, but somebody who's deep in from Abydos to really just come and talk about, like we talk, we, we reference it all the time. So like, I think it'd be yeah, good because a lot of people that. don't, a lot of people don't know. You got to use your connections to make that happen. All right. Um, send an email, that. put your feelers out there. See who we can yeah, get can on here. That. And let, people. Yeah, and let's just market it because I think a lot of people would enjoy it. But um, so how do you feel about DOLs? I, Natalie did not agree with my casting off of DOL, right? And for those – I don't even know what that actually is an abbreviation for. But the way I – Daily under, oral language. There we go. So <laughs> daily oral language practice, right? You Where can you tell we used up, to have to do it. Yeah, I used yeah. to have to do it. So, so what – I cast them off, and I was probably being a little flippant about it, as I do sometimes if I'm in the moment. I know. But so what's – when you had to do them, did you Mm -hmm. see uh, uh, effects from them? You know, was it completely lost cause, or were they effective to some degree? Well, you know, I was pretty young when we had to do them, so – my remembrance of my grammar rules that I learned from college were probably kind of nil, so I had to study it before. I, I, I know that Jeff Anderson in one of his books, and I'm I'm not so sure if it's not mechanically inclined. I can't remember which book, but he addresses the uh, the daily oral language. And one of the things that he says, that way I'm kind of off the hook. We'll just put Jeff Anderson on the hook. Yeah. But one of the things that he says <laughs> is... Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> is that uh, if I... And, and, um, Forgive me, uh, Jeff, but the thing is, is I uh, 
read it a long time ago, so I might be quoting you wrong. But anyway, but what he did say, uh, from my remembering, is that daily oral language puts wrong usage in front of the students on a daily basis. And so he felt when he was starting to do his noticing, students noticing good uh, sentences, uh, well-written sentences, uh, he decided to change that. And so he his daily oral language, if you will, is not the the wrong that you have to edit. It was more of what do you notice that's right about the piece? Now, I have applied to that, and I've even done that, um, uh, his, his uh, version, if you will, of daily oral language or noticing. I can't, he had a name for it, and I can't remember exactly the name, but um, I have done that, and it works as like a five-day approach where you look at it, you know, what do you notice at the beginning, and then, and then he specifically teaches particular uh, usage mechanical things in the sentence, you know, as he goes throughout the week, noticing different aspects of the sentence. And uh, what he likes about that, what he said, was that this keeps it on a, uh, you know, a correct usage. Uh, I I think that's great. I, I used it, and it took up almost too much time for me uh, because I'm a nerd about this stuff, and I would go too long. I would. So I had to kind of be careful about that. So, but I think using, put, what I think I agree with him. If you put wrong language in front of the students, that's what they're going to remember. That's what they're going to learn first. So I, if I'm going to put something up, I like to put up things that work. Things, and then we talk about why they worked versus why this doesn't work. Now, is there a place to correct and do editing? Yeah, in their own pieces when they're about to turn it in and, and it's going to be out and published in some way. Uh, when it's going to be viewed, they need to make sure they're doing all their, their editing. And I, I do believe that you need to separate for the students. Revision is not editing. Editing is not revision. And to be honest, the students have the hardest time with the revision. Yeah. We, uh, you know, that's where, uh, I don't know. I feel like the, this, this type of practice, I think depending on what's required of you, right? We try to be very honest that we're not usually everything we talk about is within the realities of standardized test taking and district expectations and stuff like that. So I think if you're, you know, for us in Texas, until the test changes next year or whenever they finally fix it or <laughs> make a new one, whatever that is, it's supposed to be soon. Um, but, you know, in Texas, they have a, a writing and test on, in the fourth grade and seventh grade and then in high school. So uh, for us, it's kind of like this weird experience of not really focusing on it. Teachers and the other grades don't really, unless they're just well-rounded teachers, they'll focus on the reading side or something like that. So when they come to us, we have this weird grammar portion that's half editing and half revision. Um, and the multiple choice level. So if you have that expectation, then I think, you know, stuff like DOL or something like that every once in a while probably helps that a little bit. It's a good thing. Just -hmm. because they need practice, not only thinking about the revision they would make, but what's the revision that a test would do. Unfortunately, that's the reality, but I mean, it is what it is, right? Like if you have those types Mm -hmm. of tests, you have to uh, prepare your kids to some degree uh, to get them to do well. So um, I think that's good, but really... uh, 
you know, the state that, or the, the test that we took as well for the grammar, my students did really well on the revision side. Um, and I think it was partly because we constantly, they publish so much. A lot of our conversation that we do is like, like one of the questions was this word, then what change if any should be made here? And it was a word that basically had an ambiguous it. So like change it to something else. Right. Mm-hmm. To make it more of a specific There's sentence. It, yeah. yeah. I talk about that all the time in my students just in their writing because they'll they'll write a poem, for instance, about like something that made them mad. But they don't ever pinpoint what that is, like even in a metaphorical way. They'll just say it or she or, or you know, some type of vague, uh, mm-hmm. vague subject. And it's like, well, all right, so let's talk about that. And like just having that conversation and then it showed up on the test and I was like, oh, there you go. But it was, I think those natural pieces though, I mean, if going beyond the test now, um, if we're really thinking about our purposes with why are we teaching writing in the first place, you know, you're giving them ways to use their voice for of any reason that they decide to use their voice for in the written language, being able to just look at something and go, oh, that's an unclear statement. This is, these two sentences, uh, need to be broken up because it's just too much information. It, it hurts clarity. Working through that in your own writing over time, um, I, I think it's just a more effective way uh, to do that. And they're making the errors that you need, right? They don't. You don't need to put more errors in front of them. <laughs> you... Mm-hmm. You, uh, they, they're already making the errors. So going through and even writing beside them, you know, writing a similar mm-hmm. sentence and then talking, you know, with this sentence, like if I was, I did that with a student the other day, they had uh, a bunch of really, like she was trying to combine sentences, but it was, it was being done wrong. Right. She was making sentence splices. She was doing all our comma splices and all that other stuff. So I wrote three sentences that looked like her three sentences. And then we played with mine. And I even have a, on my iPad, you can, once you write, you can actually cut out and move stuff and like move Mm -hmm. the words around and stuff. So we were doing that and basically like a puzzle essentially. And it was like this really great, just quick grammar lesson. It probably took four minutes or so. Um, But I guarantee uh, she's going to be better at doing that the next time that problem comes Mm -hmm. up. But how, how quick would she may have uh, disengaged if I, I made that? a week's worth of lessons or, or, or even a grammar lesson at the beginning as a, right. a bell ringer. Right. Right. No, I, I agree. Um, I do. Now I will, when you're talking earlier, you talked about putting sentences together and pulling them apart, combining and separating. And um, I have read somewhere and right now I can't tell you where, but I have read um, that sentence combining and separating is probably one of the number one, ways to make a difference in a student's grammar. So if you are going to do grammar practice, I think combining and separating is probably a great way uh, to do that. And you can find, like I have taken books, you know, like the kids write, you know, whatever the, the books are, like I might have them here, show me what you're reading. And I'll pull something from that book that the kids are reading. And then I'll type up that sentence and then I separate it. And then they have to put together their sentences. So sometimes I'll put something or I'll separate and they have to put it together or I'll put it together and then they have to separate it into their own. And so I'll do that periodically. It's not, it's not like to ad ad nauseum, if you will. It's just, if I notice that all of the students are messing up on their commas and they're not really understanding where to put that comma, so to speak. They're not really understanding 
uh, what compound or complex sentences are, or if I've read their papers and it's all choppy, then that's a good time for me to pull it as a whole group. And I might do a lesson about uh, sentence variety and compound complex sentences, et cetera. So anyway, that's kind of how I hit it. We mentioned uh, Jeff Anderson a few times. Another book, if someone's curious about kind of taking grammar on a different process, uh, pro what a different way is, uh, I think a lot of people would enjoy between the commas by Martin Brandt. Uh, I had him okay. on the teach me teacher podcast, but it's a fantastic book that I think it, he, he serves a, a really good function in that book where it's, it's definitely higher level. It's meant for like high school and stuff. So I don't know if elementary teachers would get too much out of it, but it mm-hmm. is, he approaches a lot of stuff and he kind of invented his own ways of getting kids to engage with grammar that weren't worksheet based. So another resource for people, but you know, I think we firmly stand behind Jeff Anderson and, uh, well, and you know, when you're, you, you talked about elementary versus secondary, but on an elementary level, I would still, um, you know, when you're having to dictate because the students will write and then sometimes they'll draw and then you dictate for them. Uh, that's where a good place is, is where you could probably show them a little bit of grammar there. And then also, um, I would say trade books, picture books, great place for, uh, you know, you can put, drop that picture book underneath your camera if you have one of those document cameras or blow up that particular paper and picture and and then you have the kids um, notice those sentences. And then you can talk about the different constructors. What do you know that constructions, you know, that, that you see? Um, that's a great place because in a lot of um, picture books, you'll find ellipses and you'll find those dashes that we talked about. And so I like to use picture books. You know I do because, you know, I have a huge... I, I use a lot of picture books, and I used them with my my high school kids as well. Some of my best lessons have come out of picture books. But I do stop at, at an elementary level. I would I would have them, uh, you know, maybe see a page that might have an ellipsis, and I'll say, okay, now teach them about it real quick, and then say, hey, why don't you try to write in your story today? See if you can find a place to use ellipses. You know, so I might teach them that way if I was doing elementary. And that's 58 minutes of grammar talk, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. We could probably, I'm sure we'll have many episodes about grammar and uh, everything it entails. But if you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor, leave a review, leave a little star rating, share it with your team. You can be like, God, even if you hate if especially if you hate it, actually share it with someone and be like, everyone needs to listen to how bad, how, how they are not respecting the diagram the way they should just share it with everyone you possibly can, uh, whether you like it or not. Just kidding. But anyway, hopefully you did enjoy it. Um, we're a bunch of dorks. These podcasts come out every single Friday. Uh, let us know if you have a question, DM me, uh, contact us whichever way you can. You can do it through the Facebook page over there, Craft and Draft Workshop. You can go to craftjumpworkshop.com or you can just follow uh, me on social media somewhere and make it happen. We would love to answer a question if you have one or a challenge if you want us to uh, reassess something that we said and you want to call us out on. That is fine too. But for everything else, ladies and gentlemen, know that we are here for you.